welcome to another episode of Paranormal, the New Normal. I'm your host, as always, Jeremy, here to try to make this world seem a little more normal, which these days is just impossible. But my guest tonight, I, as everybody on this show knows, I've been saying for since the show began back in April that my favorite cryptid of all time is Dogmen. And this guest tonight is a dream guest because I've mentioned their website multiple times on this show as my proof that these things exist. So my guest tonight is D.A. Roberts from the North American Dogman Project. How are you doing today, D.A.? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. Not a problem. It's As I just said in the intro, it is my absolute pleasure to... Uh, it's my absolute pleasure to have you on, and I am proud I finally have someone from this group on, because I've been meaning to reach out to you guys for a long time, and then randomly on Facebook, I see you pop up one day, and I'm like, oh, yes, thank you. The fates work in mysterious ways sometimes. You should uh, but, you should reach out to Nick Valente, too. He's he's uh, the Region 1 slash Region 5 temporary director. Um, he's a, He'd be a good guest for you, too. I could probably introduce you. Uh, that would be freaking awesome. Nick's always, <laughs> Nick's always a good guest. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm definitely down for that. But first things first, the first question I ask everybody on this show is, what got you into the paranormal? Well, I've been interested in cryptids and all things that go bump in the night since I was a little kid. Uh, it all started pretty much with the Patterson-Gimlin footage and those old early Leonard Nimoy in search ofs back in the 70s when I was a kid. Uh, but my mother used to tell me stories about when she grew up in a haunted house and we had had a number of odd things happen on our farm. And it just really fueled my interest in pretty much all things paranormal and cryptid. Uh, and I've been more on the cryptid side, but a lot, but more recently I've been getting more into the paranormal than I used to. Um, but we have just pretty much my entire life. I've been ad addicted to everything that went bump in the night. Which, yeah, I mean, I, I find that's the most common answer for that question is it all starts in childhood because we all experience things or we think we do that we can't explain. Or, or unless you're like me and you experience nothing and the fact that you experience nothing makes you more interested. Because then it's like, why am I not experiencing things when people I know are? So yeah, kind, of, kind of two sides of the same coin. One, uh, one or the other will get you interested in this field. Exactly. So... The second question I always ask everybody is, have you had any experiences yourself where you actually have seen something or, and it doesn't have to be dogman related, it could be anything related, but. Uh, well, I've had uh, a few brushes with what I believe were Bigfoot, uh, although they weren't visual sightings, uh, but considering where I was and, and, and certain factors involved, uh, there's really nothing else it could have been, but I, ha I do have a direct dogman sighting and I believe we captured one on video interesting you know it's funny uh we do on my other paranormal show global strangeness which is a discussion show we just did dogman two weeks ago nice it was my because it was my choice <laughs> and and I, i've been dying to get dogman that show for a while now but and we actually show we do it live on twitch and actually we actually brought up uh your the nadp site and showed that encounter map nice and we actually we actually read off an encounter from uh alberta Canada, i think it was there's a lot of sightings on there, and oddly enough, the majority of them are in the Midwest. Not, I mean, honestly, that's not too surprising because the Midwest is always where I, I mean, well, the, okay, the Midwest and the South, and I also heard Pennsylvania and the mm -hmm. North. That's the only part of the Northeast I really heard is that Maine's been a hot spot of late as well, too. Oh man, I, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a manager for a co for a company, and I'm a district. My district is in Maine. Don't tell me that. I, I'm gonna be spending some nights there eventually. <laughs> you should look up the Palmyra Maine incident. It's a terrifying dogman encounter. I have a rep that works there, so that's interesting. I definitely will look, look that yeah, up. It's supposedly active even now. I'm well. These things just don't disappear. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. so that makes sense. Hello, Facebook user. I'm. CL, I'm guessing, but we'll see. But, all right. So, 
well, first things first, any, any other experiences you wanted to bring up possibly uh, or? Well, uh, about just a little over a year ago, July, uh, July 2021, Nick Valente and I were in the in land between the lakes, uh, political recreation area in, on the Kentucky-Tennessee border. I got there before him. I was there for a couple of days before he was, uh, but we hooked up and were pretty much driving all the back roads and checking out the campgrounds and looking for the site where the alleged alleged incident that involved the murder of a family of four by a dog man. We were looking for that particular spot. Uh, but while we were driving on a, one of the side roads leading from DeMumbers Bay to, uh, toward the main road through the LBL, which is called the Trace, we were maybe a mile from LBL, uh, not from LBL, from uh, DeMumbers Bay heading back toward the main road. And I was watching the side of the road and I saw a dark shape uh, leaning with its hand against the tree. And uh, the reason I saw it was it, it moved its head watching us go. I saw the movement. Uh, and when I when I saw it, I, I started hitting Nick in the shoulder. I'm like, hey, look, look, look. And he, we were only doing like two, three miles an hour. We were just kind of creeping, looking for other like campgrounds back in the woods. Uh, and he slammed on the brakes and looked. And I saw it for probably between 10 and 15 seconds, maybe a little longer. Because, you know, when you're in that heat of that moment, you know, time seems to dilate. So it could have been longer. But to me, I think it was like 10 to 15 seconds. And Nick saw it for around 10. He didn't see it for the first few seconds. But it was a large black figure. It was about six and a half, maybe seven feet tall. It wasn't huge. Um, built lean. And uh, when it really had the head like a like a kind of a cross between a wolf and a German shepherd. But the snout seemed to be a little blunter. Uh, I couldn't see the eyes because it was kind of sil silhouetted in the morning light. And when it realized we were looking at it, it took off. Uh, toward a ravine, which was about 50 yards behind, well, maybe 30 yards behind it. But it had this weird kind of bounding stride. It kind of went side, 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 and then it was down in that ravine. And uh, it was quick. It was really quick. Completely black, had the hawked legs, or what they refer to as digitigrade feet, uh, and, a, and a black tail. Uh, the creature was completely black. Of course, we jumped out of the vehicle and went, went trucking over there, and the leaf litter was so thick you couldn't get any tracks. But you could see where the leaf litter had been disturbed when it took off. And we went right to the tree, and I could easily reach the spot where its hand was. So that's how I gauged. I'm just shy of six feet tall, and it was just a little over my head. So I'm thinking between six and a half and seven feet tall. Uh, but it was incredibly fast. Um, you know, when once it realized we were looking at it, it was gone in just a matter of seconds. Oh yeah, I mean, I, those. I mean, I believe they're. I believe at least that they have to be somewhat intelligent, like Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. Oh, so I think so. I think they're, they're very, very intelligent. But. Good question here, actually. Billy Dank asked, would you be more concerned with a face-to-face -face dog man or Bigfoot encounter? It depends on the type of Bigfoot. If it's just your standard patterson Gillen, I would be far more concerned about the dog man. If it's a Gugway, that's a whole other matter. Uh, Gugways, I think, are probably the worst thing you can count, encounter in the woods short of a Wendigo. Uh, so I think I would be, if it was a Gugway, I'd be more concerned about it. Uh, but just your your Patterson Gimlin, most commonly seen type of Bigfoot, uh, I think that one would be far less aggressive than a dogman because 90% uh, of the encounters you take from people uh, when they describe seeing a dogman, they use one of two words. They use demonic or hellish. Uh, these things are large predators, and if you've got one in your nose to nose with it, you're probably not coming out on the winning end of that. I can't imagine you would, no. <laughs> I mean, which, uh, well... And hello, Myla. Thank you for joining us. Hi, Myla. Sorry, I had to get a drink of water. My throat gets good. dry. Of course. So, and actually, well, okay, well, you, you brought a couple things up in that statement that I want to touch on, but sure. first thing, but the first thing we'll definitely hit is, what do you think are the origins of the dog man? Do you think they've been here since the beginning of time, like the Bigfoot have? Or do you think they are demonic entities like a lot of people believe the beast of bray road is and the beast of the lamb between the lakes <laughs> i think these creatures have been around for a long time sightings in the area of land between the lakes and actually it was land before the rivers before the 1960s uh date back to the 1600s when the fr first french trappers were going through that area uh both christopher columbus and marco polo documented seeing dog-headed uh, dog-headed beings on their journeys uh the condition is called sinocephali uh, basically translate as having the head of a dog. Um, and and, and it, it's even described all the way back in Roman and Greek mythology. If you look at, uh, at uh, 
Anubis in Egyptian mythology. Anubis had the head of a jackal, but there was a wolf-headed god uh, that, that's a little lesser known, and I cannot remember how to pronounce his name. It's like Weberweb. Weberweb, I think, is it, it's a bunch of W's. Uh, Weberweb was the uh, was the the wolf-headed god of the of the Egyptian underworld, and um, the uh, the the similarities. Are, are, are extant down through the centuries. I mean, even in Catholic Catholic iconography, Saint Christopher is known as the dog-headed saint. In a lot of Catholic illuminated manuscripts, he is depicted as having the head of a dog. Which actually, it's funny you brought up Anubis because I had a guest on my podcast, I think in like the fourth or fifth episode of my show, and he was in the army, and one of his troopmates saw a statue of Anubis in Egypt when they were over there and he's and he started freaking out and he's like what's that what's that and they're like that's an ancient Egyptian god and, he, and he's like I saw that same exact creature in my backyard twice when I was a kid in New Orleans there are a lot of dogman sightings around New Orleans Rougarou country yeah mm -hmm. and I mean which I mean so you're uh, I'm guessing you're of the camp that dogmen are flesh and blood not flesh and bone not interdimensional well i always i've always I, i've spent almost 20 years in law enforcement so i look at everything from a physical evidence standpoint i'm not saying it's not possible that these creatures you know they refer to it as the woo and i, I don't know who coined that term but i think it's kind of stupid but anytime you get a report where they mention him being extra dimensional or can cloak or anything like that it's generally lumped into that category they call the woo and i will never be the guy that says that's impossible that it, it, you know, it couldn't possibly happen. We know portals have been opened by CERN and the Super Collider, so portals are a thing. Portals do exist, and I'm not saying these creatures can't, but Occam's Razor said says that the most likely the most likely explanation is usually the the, the choice. Uh, so I think the most likely is that they are they are surviving megafauna, uh, perhaps even evolutionary descendants from from dire wolves. Uh, I think they are one of the things that went bump in the night when we were still building fire uh, around caves. I, I like that one. I like that right there. That just, to me, that makes sense. Cause, and I never thought of them as like, well, I guess I have in a way. Because, I mean, same as Bigfoot could have <laughs> been Gigantipicus or Gigantipicus, however you say it. <laughs> but, I mean, it... Definitely. I mean, I feel like Dogman had to have existed, existed for a long time because I would most like most people, I would assume that's where the legend of werewolves came from. Mm -hmm. Well, I think the uh, the well, the legends of the werewolves grew as an a, an attempt to explain why there were these remnant populations of these dog headed man like things. Uh, I think these things have been around for a very long time. Uh, there are dogman sightings all over Europe. There are dogman sightings in England. There are dogman sightings in Australia. I've talked to researchers that are, that have sent me videos and pictures from all these locations. So it's it's not difficult or even a really big stretch of the imagination to think these things still exist in remnant populations, much like Bigfoot. And Bigfoot's seen all over the world and under you know a thousand different names. Yes, it definitely is, and. And it's, I mean, uh, the dog, I just had a thing I was going to go for, but I mean, Australia, I mean, Dogman Australia, I've yet mm -hmm. to hear a story about that, but I mean, in the I can put you in touch with a couple of guys that have got, got their own YouTube channels. Ooh, because I mean, oh, well, in the land of everything that can kill you, I could believe they would be there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think pretty much, you know, what was it? Like eight out of the eight of the ten deadliest snakes in the world are in Australia. I mean, everything on that continent is trying to eat you or kill you. Yeah, and I mean that's that, and that's the creatures we know about. I mean, mm -hmm. don't even get me started on the bunyip and the yowie. But mm -hmm. it's, but uh, what do you, what do you think about the fact that, I mean, do dogmen actually run in packs? Do you think, or are they solo? I firm, I firmly think they do. Uh, I think if you see one, it's the one they want you to see. Um, they are likely hunting you, uh, and they're trying to get your attention on that one, much like in the first Jurassic Park where the one raptor got his attention and the others closed in from the sides. It's a pack mentality, and wolves hunt that way. And they will one, one will run an animal until it's about ready to drop, and the rest of the pack will close in. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's a pack, pack order, a hierarchy 
of, of the way these things hunt and they are a super predator oh i mean yeah they are i i mean i ain't any dog any creature that can run two feet and four feet like that's mm-hmm. just to me is insanely scary like <laughs> i would say I mean, they're even... faster on all fours uh but very capable on on their hind legs as well so let's jump into what do you think of the beast of bray road because i mean i've watched a lot of documentaries on it i've re- i've heard a lot of stories about it i mean i've read linda godfrey's stuff on it and do you think that um that town was actually into like satanic rituals and stuff and that's why they they summon this creature or do you think it was just always there and have, they haven't run into it finally well a lot of the characteristics of the beast of bray road are echoed in other locations um, I don't think it had anything to do with any type, any type of ritual or summoning. Dogmen are seen around cemeteries a lot. I don't know why. Uh, I can't explain why, but they are seen around cemeteries. In fact, if you look on my YouTube channel, uh, there's a video I shot when I was in LBL, and while I was at the Nickel Cemetery, there was something moving in the trees around me, and I couldn't I couldn't catch it on camera. Uh, but you know, it, it was, I was right at a cemetery, and that's where I got quite a bit of activity. Um, so for some reason, these things, I don't know if it's because of the potential for digging up bones or, or, or even, you know, getting a fresh corpse. I don't know what possible reason they would hang around in a, a, a cemetery, but there, there are a lot of sightings of dogman in or around cemeteries. I, I mean, I was going to say, I mean, a dog just wants a bone, but yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean. But I mean, yeah, the Beast Spread Road is like the most fascinating one. Well, okay, second most fascinating one to me because it's been seen for what 60, 70 years now at least. Oh yeah. So it's to this day. I mean, they still report sightings of it, and I mean, they they basically they basically celebrate it at this point. It's a way for mm-hmm. them to get tourism with that over that it, way. But, if you go to LBL, the north end of LBL in Grand Rivers, it is totally the opposite. Uh, I was kicked out of a bait store for asking about the Beast of LBL. Uh, a few other people just claimed they'd never heard the story. Um, and I, t- I spoke to a deputy sheriff and identified myself as a retired cop. And he told me straight out one cop to another, if you know what's good for you, drop it. Um, but, you know, 20 miles, no, it's not even 20 miles, like 10 miles away in Paducah, Kentucky, literally people like, that just overheard me talking about it were like, oh, yeah, I've got a story to tell you. Uh, in Paducah, they all knew about it and were perfectly happy to talk about it. But Grand Rivers makes a lot of their money off tourism, off the uh, the, the bass tournaments they have on those lakes. And they did not want to talk about it and were not happy when I brought it up. Well, sure, they don't want, they don't want to scare people away from their tournament, but right. which makes sense. But the most, now see, the most interesting one to me that, I mean, I didn't hear about this until after I heard about Beach Spray Road, but the land between the lakes, that whole case, like just has always fascinated me because of how gruesome it is. There's more than one. In 1974, one of the game and fish officers saw a couple uh, dismembered in uh, Demumbers Bay. He saw it from a boat really? and couldn't get to it before it killed him. Yeah. <laughs> so that, so there, yeah. there are multiple stories of, of these creatures killing people in land between the lakes. Which, I mean... And we actually, when we, when I was talking about that in our show that, well, two weeks ago, I actually, we actually brought up a picture of Land Between the Lakes taken from the air. And we all said like, okay, that looks like a perfect place for a bunch of these creatures to live and never be seen because they're so wooded. And well, they can at, hide. And, looking at the pictures are one thing. Being there is totally different. I grew up deer hunting. I've been in, in and out of the woods in Missouri my entire life. Uh, I've hunted everything you can hunt just about on North America. But here's the thing. I have, anytime I've ever been out in the woods, you would always see signs of animals. You'd see squirrels. You might see deer. You might see turkey. Inside, outside of LBL on the way in, I would see animals that would like roadkill along the highway. Uh, Where we stayed in Grand Rivers, there were deer walking around the campground. Uh, There were, you know, squirrels and, and birds and turtles and rock raccoons and possums you cross that bridge across the canal into north lbl and nothing in four days and four nights running around northern lbl i didn't see a single animal not even roadkill which 
tells you something's definitely active there and the animals know to either avoid that part or they're all getting eaten if they are there. Right. And there were two particular places where I, and I'm, I'm generally, well, my mother used to say I was, I, I would, I was, uh, I would blunder in where angels feared to tread. She used to say that about me as a kid. And even as a cop, I always wanted to be the first guy through the door anytime we were, we were doing anything, you know, anything going, you know, serving a warrant or anything like that. I always wanted to be the first guy through the door. I was, I was the point guy on the riot team for almost four years. I always wanted to be that first guy in. Um, and I was good at it. Uh, you know, I, I, was, I was the idiot that ran toward danger instead, <laughs> instead of running away. But there were two places in LBL that freaked me out enough. I packed up my stuff and got out of there. And that was when I was hearing something stalking me at, at a nickel cemetery. And then again, when I walked into the woods down by Demumbers Bay. See, you couldn't pay me enough to go in those woods. You couldn't pay me enough. Cause. I, uh, and I, I was alone at both, at both locations. Oof. I mean, even if you had a gun with you, I don't know if it would help in these situations. I really don't, because no. they they're fa they're fast and they're yeah. gonna come at you from it, the angle they can get you. It would be depend. It would depend on how close they were when you saw them. If they were closer than closer than say 20, 30 feet when you notice them, you're you're not gonna get you're not gonna get a weapon drawn in time to get to to save yourself. They are too close. You're gonna have to see one at 40, 50 yards in order to be able to get a weapon up at time because they the one I saw was just incredibly fast. It covered it covered 30 yards, maybe 35 yards in four bounds and it was maybe three seconds. Maybe just bang bang bang. Which I mean you mean which let me ask you this. Do you think the government knows these things exist and they're just like covering it up? Like oh they, yeah, like they did for like they did with aliens for years. I'm a firm believer that the government has known about these things for a long time, and I'll tell you my crazy tinfoil hat theory. If you want to run down the rabbit hole with me, uh, oh, one of the first one of the first known recorded encounters of a Bigfoot killing somebody is the Bauman encounter. The Bauman encounter was recorded in the book The Wilderness Hunter by Teddy Roosevelt before he was president. Uh, the level of detail that is in that story is not something you would get from most people that, that have an encounter. I know I've taken hundreds of encounters, you know, personally, and you've got to draw details out of people. They don't they don't tell you where the where they put their beaver traps. They don't tell you what what kind of what kind of trees were around their campsite. They you know they don't give you that level of detail. So me and a number of people that I've spoken with believe that due to the level of detail, Bauman was actually Teddy Roosevelt. And the reason that he didn't report it as being him is he still had political aspirations and he didn't want people thinking he was crazy because he saw a monster in the woods. So if you accept that theory that Bauman from the Bauman incident was Teddy Roosevelt, you flash forward to Teddy Roosevelt as president, what's one of the first things he does? He creates the National Park Service, cordoning off millions upon millions of acres of land that we're still not allowed total access to today. Yep, which I never thought about that way, but that makes sense. And I mean, Teddy Roosevelt was known for being a huge outdoorsman and yes. doing everything outside and killing every creature imaginable. Now, he hunted he dangerous animals like Cape Buffalo. Nothing scared the man, but something put the fear in him enough to make that National Parks, make the National yeah, Park Service. Definitely. And and flash, flash forward to today, where are all these missing 411 cases that David Pilates is, is is talking about? National parks. They are, which, ooh, we can get into that in a second. Definitely do this. But Hi, Emily. What part of Kentucky are you in? Emily, for those who don't know, is the host of WT Freak Live. Awesome. A, another paranormal show. I don't know. What part of Kentucky are you from, Emily? I'm not familiar enough with you to know that but um so we just said it what the heck we just um, yeah national park so which it's funny because i mean Teddy roosevelt killed so many things like you think if anybody would have discovered a bigfoot and killed it it would have been him like you would think i would think considering the unless he did incident, i bet he tried or he, uh, or he did and what? it's just locked away in a government facility somewhere yeah, he may have brought in proof and said, we can't ever talk about this. But the, the crazy thing is, if you look at the missing 411 cases, the missing 411, the hunters, 
where hunters who were armed and familiar with the area they were at went missing and, were, and no trace was ever found. Massive searches were established for these hunters and you know, no trace was ever found. And these guys had hunted the same area for years and years and they were armed. Now, I've taken dozens upon dozens of encounter stories from guys who literally had one, a Bigfoot, in the crosshairs of their rifle. My co-host on my show, Anthony Canatella, he had one in his rifle scope, and he'd never, he didn't even believe in Bigfoot until he saw it through his scope. And now he's a, an absolute believer. But I've talked to so many hunters that literally had one in their, sc their scope and decided not to take the shot. I think the missing 411 hunters are ones that took the shot. Possibly, which uh, we'll get to that in one second. But apparently, Ashley Hale, another listen, listen person has been listening a lot lately. Uh, she's in Kentucky as well. Hi, Ashley. Any of, area, any of that area sound familiar to you? Uh, I have not explored Kentucky a lot. Uh, most of what I've done was around uh, land between the lakes. Yeah, it's. I mean, if you're if you're going to be looking for dogmen, that's where you need to go first. Is land between. Well, that that was the whole yeah. point of the expedition. I believe it. I believe it. And I see, I would go there, but I would want at least three or four fully armed people with me in case something happens. There's backup in case something tries to kill me. Yeah, I'm, I'm the idiot that went in alone, even at night. Well, I mean, yeah, at night, that'd be insane. I mean, just that story of like the college kids that went up there and they built the campfire and all of a sudden they hear something like around the campfire and then they start, when they fly, start packing up and get ready to go, they hear the, like that. Undoggly, un, un even sounding howling and grunting that, like, oh, it chased them about out, it. scratching the yeah. back of their van. Yep, I mean, it's a classic story, but great still, story, it is. But it's just, I've got another, I've got another college kid story, but this one's from here in Missouri that I think you'll enjoy. Uh, Ooh. took a report from a guy as a group of college guys went out to uh, camp in the Mark Twain National Forest. And, of course, being college guys, doing what college guys do when out camping, they were all drinking quite a bit. Well, one of them decided he needed to answer the call of nature, and he gets up and he you know, walks out of camp, away from the fire, finds a tree, leans against it, and he's you know, relieving himself. Well, from behind a big bush, about 20 feet away, he starts getting hit with pine cones. And he's convinced it's his buddies. He's like, knock it off, and he still gets pelted with them. So he finishes and goes back into camp, and all of his buddies are still in camp. He's like, which one of you idiots was out there throwing pine cones at me? We're like, dude, we didn't leave the campfire. There was nobody out there. He's like, well, I'll show you where it was. They go back out to the tree where we, there, there was still a puddle on the ground, and the bush was gone. The bush was gone. Yeah, it wasn't a bush. It, it, it was, oh, yeah, it was right. a Bigfoot crouched down, pelting him with pine cones. Oh, and actually, that, that does sound vaguely familiar, but I can't place where I think I've I've heard something similar. To I've talked about it on my show a few times. It's a, a, one of I, the encounter stories I've taken. I, I thought it was a, a really good, really good story. I'm like, I, I'm like, you guys gonna go camping back out there again? He's like, not on your life. I I don't blame him. I don't blame him either. But but what do you think of the story of the family that got killed in LBL? That like with the with the daughter's body like up mm -hmm. in the tree, like which and the fact that. The fact that they try to blame it on a serial killer. Yeah, I, I think the event actually happened. I do believe it was a dog man. And, and the reason I'm firmly convinced of this is Jody Cook, who is the founder of the NADP, actually interviewed two of the state troopers who were there. Um, one of them uh, was, was on his deathbed, was dying of cancer. And the other, you know, late in life, decided he didn't give a crap what they, anybody said. He was just going to give his account. And Jody's got the recordings of talking to both those men and signed affidavits. So Jody spoke to eyewitnesses, and they they basically said, yeah, we were told to keep quiet, and the reports were all, all basically buried. Which makes you think, like, yeah, it may be the Park Service, but there's got to be, like, the, the men in black, or, I mean, they're not called that anymore. Now they're called, I think, the khaki men or something like that, because they dress differently nowadays, because... Nobody wears a black suit and tie every, every right. day anymore. Little little so, off, little on the nose if you show up dressed. As, you know, you're going to think you're one of the men of the black or men in black or one of the blues brothers. I'll take four whole chickens and a yeah, but, <laughs> but no, I mean from God. Oh God, I love that line. I, I do too. That's that, a great movie. That, that movie's classic, but but yeah, I mean, 
because the khaki men as they're called nowadays because they basically from what I, from what i've heard they wear hawaiian shirts and khaki shorts to blend in with suburban dads everywhere and because i i mean i'm a suburban dad and i sure as hell don't wear hawaiian shirts but okay i do but, i have a bunch of hawaiian hawaiian shirts with bigfoot themes on them now see if i had those i'd wear them they're on, <laughs> they're on amazon if you go on amazon and, and search bigfoot hawaiian shirt there's like a thousand of them I'm, I'm slowly making a collection of them i've got about half a dozen of them so far i definitely want to look into that but so i mean i think the men in black cover up more than just extraterrestrial sightings i think so too i think there's a I lot of this where people are being told to shut up uh there are channels who've been knocked offline uh there are reports that have disappeared uh, I know, uh, you know for where we where we believe we caught one on tape. Uh, you can see the video uh, on on my on my uh, YouTube channel. It's called the Joe Bald Breakdown video, uh, where we think we captured a dogman on tape, but we didn't set out to do that. I was shooting a, a promotional video for one of my books called The Lakeview Man, and we, we were just down there shooting a video in one of the locations on the books. It's an old campground called the Joe Bald Campground down near Kimberling City, Missouri, that the Army Corps of Engineers shut down about. 20, 25 years ago. Um, weird that they would shut down an active campground, especially when one in that such a such a great area for camping. Uh, when I started digging into why they shut it down, I found a, a, at least eight reports of missing people in and around that campground. Um, so I started gathering information on it, and when I went back to pull those reports to make printout copies of them, they were all gone. Every one of those reports had vanished. You can't find them. Um, which is really bizarre, uh, but uh, we we shot that video, got in our car and got in the car and left. It was me, my oh, my best friend Steve, my wife and his wife, and uh, our wives stayed in my minivan while we Steve and I got up and shot this video. And I, I I'd watched the video a bunch of times, and you could see eye shine at a number of places in it. But it's Missouri in the woods; you're going to see a lot of eye shine at night. So I didn't think too much of it. But about a year and a half after we shot the video. We were showing that promo video on a, on a show I used to do called The Nightmare Hunter. And um, we, uh, we were showing the video, and one of the guys in the, in the audience, um, he said, hey, I saw something move behind one of those trees. And I'm like, nah, nah. I've watched that video a thousand times. There's nothing in it. He goes, no, I'm telling you, something moved. So I sent the video to a couple of guys I know, uh, Adam Shepard and, uh, and uh, Josh uh, Jones. Uh, they do video analysis. And uh, what they sent me back was pretty terrifying. It, you can at one point, excuse me, at one point see something with a wolf-like head leaning out from behind a tree, and you can even see its hand on the tree with the claws. And uh, it's at about nine and a half feet off the ground. It was a big one. Uh, no black bears in Missouri that get that big. A nine and a half foot tall black bear would be huge. But on the video, you can see it lean out, and when my, flash, my flashlight pans past it, it goes back behind the tree. That is so creepy. And that it's, right it's there. It's a great video. That demonstrates their intelligence. If they mm -hmm. know a light's coming, duck back. Like well, that's they got they got within about thirty well uh, I showed it to uh, to uh, Nick Valente and he believes there were several in the in the background. Uh, the ones we couldn't see he said because of the behavior. Um, but if that was true, they got within thirty yards of us. And Steve and I were both armed, and I don't think we were carrying enough firepower to have stopped one. If it had wanted us, it could have gotten us. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, those things are, I'm sure, would <laughs> go over anything. Billy says, we've camped a few times near Patty Creek, near Roby, Roby. Missouri, deep in the woods, and felt a presence there for sure. Eerie. Roby is a creepy area. Uh, you know, there are a lot of sightings of Bigfoot and Dogman. Uh, along the uh, Gasconade uh, River, which is very close to there. Um, my brother lives out uh, near, um, trying to remember the name of the little town. It's out past Falcon, Missouri. It's in the, in the middle of nowhere. But that area is very densely wooded. It's very close to the Mark Twain National Forest. Uh, that whole area out there is just pretty creepy. I can imagine. I mean, I am not much of an outdoorsman myself. Never have been. Never want to be. <laughs> but I like my TV and my and my games. But and my podcasting. But I just. Uh, I mean, I would love. I've gone hiking because my wife makes me. But and I mean, I've every time I do, I'm just looking for Bigfoot. That's all I'm doing. Oh, absolutely. But you I've know, gone, even if you spend a day in the woods and don't see anything but deer, it's still a good day. 
I rare. I mean, I see deer in my. I, I see deer in my freaking yard. But I, other than that, I, even when I'm in the woods, I see nothing besides occasionally a garter snake running through the grass. But I mean, I've I've looked in Freetown State Forest in Massachusetts, and in I've done some around Lemister State Forest too, like looking for Bigfoot kind of. But I, I don't go deep enough, I don't think, and I'm okay with that because <laughs> I don't want to go that deep in the woods. Well, like, I, I don't think you necessarily have to go that deep. Uh, as researchers go, uh, I, you, I guess you could call me a lazy researcher. Some people do, but I don't think walking out into the deep woods, banging on trees and hooting and hollering is going to attract them. You're not going to find anything doing that way, doing it that way. All you're going to do is push them away. Uh, if you, we had Ron Moorhead on my show, and I talked to Ron at length. And when Ron had the Sierra sounds analyzed by a Navy cryptolinguist, they ran it through a computer, and that the calls that they that they recorded on the on the Sierra sounds had peaks and valleys both above and below what human voices are capable of producing. So that means that a Bigfoot's vocal range is way beyond anything we can do. So if you're out in the woods trying to do your best Bigfoot call, it's like listening to the London Sil London Sif London Symphony Orchestra with one headphone. Uh, you're not getting the you're not getting the stereo effect. You're not getting the entire picture. So anytime you go out, you we don't know we don't know what the what knocking on trees really means. You could be driving them away. And anytime you're hooting and hollering, it, it to to be to us it would be like you know. Again, listening to uh, to a stereo song on, with one headphone, you're just not getting the whole picture. So I think you're wasting your time out there yelling and screaming because it, it's not going to sound right to them. They're going to know instantly it's not one of their own. Uh, I've had the best resort, results uh, just setting a campfire and waiting for them to come to us. In fact, we just did that at an event a couple weeks ago, Fall Into the Supernatural. Uh, Friday night, we had a bonfire out in the out in the woods fairly late at night, and uh, before we were even really fully set up around the fire, we were already hearing something pacing us in the trees. And at one point during the night when we were talking about Bigfoot, something threw something out of the woods at my wife and another lady. Ooh. See, And that was just two weeks ago. That's more balls than I'll ever have right there. I'm telling you, I have had far better results getting them to come to me. Because they are, but they are innately curious. They want to know what the hell you're doing in their woods, and and, and nothing says, "Hey, hey, look at me in the dead of night," quite like a campfire. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why there's so many stories of people seeing like a silhouette when they're sleeping in their tent at night, like mm -hmm. after that, and like it, it, it it's huge. But right. and it's oh, you just said something I wanted to fucking comment on. Um, but no, I mean, well, you said we were talking earlier about missing four and one, mm -hmm. which. Let's talk about that for a second, because sure. I've, I've brought that up on this show many times when I try to talk about dogmen, because, well, one, I had a guest on a few weeks ago. You may have know him or know of him, Lon Strickler. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah I know Lon. And like he was, like he says, most of the dogmen sayings he has in Pennsylvania are all around mines, which I've had other people on the show who are outdoors people. And they and they say they've been in these mines in Pennsylvania, and they go these mines go back further than anybody has ever explored. Like if people want to disappear, they go in these mines, and they could live with like if you know what you're doing, you could live in there for the rest of your life. Right. Well, so, here's the thing: if you take the map, uh, if you if you Google map of missing 411 clusters, you can bring up a map, an image of a map that has all these little 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 hash marks on it in clusters where the majority of these disappearances have happened. And if you take that missing 411 map and put it up on your screen and you bring up a map of known cave systems in the United States, they almost yep. perfectly match. They they do basically perfectly match. I've seen on I've seen it done on Facebook and everything and that's what made me that's what made me really start thinking about it. I'm like, you know, these caves be a perfect place for all these different cryptids to just hide out and right. During the, during the day, maybe, and just hide in these caves and sleep during the day, and then at night they go out and try to find food. Well, some of some of these spelunkers that are exploring, like Mammoth Cave and some of these deeper cave systems, it's not an easy process. People think you know going into a cave is just you go in with a flashlight and a thermos of water and you're good to go. Uh, some of these go these caves go back miles and miles. In order for you to get that far back, you've got to plan months in advance and go in and drop off supplies at certain points and have base camps 
and go, just continue to go farther because you're limited to buy to what you can carry in on your back as your supplies for exploring. Uh, you've got to have more batteries. You've got to have other light sources. You've got to have all all this all these things to be able to see in these deep dark cave systems. Uh, so exploring deep is a is a very very difficult process because if you've got you've basically got to at every checkpoint you've got to leave more supplies and bring them in and ferry them into these points so you can span out from these points and go deeper into the caves but i've heard several people say that once they get a couple of days in they start finding bones Ooh, which i could believe do they yeah. say what the bones are from though uh from what i report mostly animal mostly large animal like large ungulates like elk deer even buffalo. Which makes you think, because there's no deer, elk, buffalo that's just walking into a cave and right. walk, walking that far in. It's not happening. I mean, deer may be if they're well, curious. Yeah. Deer don't see, you know, in absolute total darkness, they've got to have some sort of ambient light to see by. Even starlight is, is beneficial. But you get into a cave, you get very far from the entrance, there is nothing. You cannot see your hand in front of your face. Uh, so there's no way they got that deep on their own. I mean, it's just too far to stumble through and hopefully find your way through. Um, it's the odds of something that 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 survives on its eyesight, like any animal on the on the surface of the planet, being able to go that deep without some sort of some sort of adaptation of night vision or the ability to, to build fire. The ability going that deep is almost impossible for anything short of, you know, like I said, making these base camps and, and leaving supplies, unless you're something that's adapted to living on living under those conditions. Which brings you to my next topic, because I mean, I truly I truly believe that dogmen and maybe even Bigfoot use these caves at different points just as shelters. Why not? Or highways. They, or highways, which because the Native Americans used to go through these cave systems and spend a month walking through one cave side to the other as a spiritual journey type thing which what do you think of the pale crawlers or rakes though that people have been reporting in the, in the last like 10 15 years i i know that the, they people call the the rake a creepy pasta uh, and i don't think it was made up i know there people are seeing things like that i think and this is just my own personal opinion i think the rake and these pale humanoids are types of wendigo Ooh. I think they're related to the Wendigo somehow. And you're not you're not the first person I've heard say that either, but or at least suggest that. But it's interesting because my wife, before we moved in together, she lived in a house in her family house down in the Bridgewater Triangle, mm -hmm. and she was sitting in the bathroom one night smoking a cigarette and like looking out the window in her backyard, and out of the woods comes this pale crawler-looking thing, like a white humanoid. And it just kind of staggered around the backyard, kind of brainless, it seemed, like kind of like unintelligent, just staggering around like for a good 10, 15 minutes, and then just slowly retreated like and walked back into the woods. Which yeah, it was, I, it was probably looking for something to eat. I mean, the, the Wendigo is the embodiment of hunger. Uh, it's yeah. Yeah, the so many Native American tribes have lore on these creatures that date back to long before any European settlers ever came to this continent. Um, so, you know, there, there, there's got to be more to it than we give credit. The, the, the bad thing is, is we have basically, as a society, it largely ignored Native American lore. And when you dig into some of the legends and talk to the natives, to Native Americans, you find out that there's knowledge of these things, knowledge of Bigfoot creatures, Gugway, Dogman going back, you know, generations upon generations and I, I give that, those stories so much credibility because that's an oral tradition. It's not just a story somebody made up to make their kids behave. Oh, if you don't be good, the boogeyman's going to get you. These were tales you know, handed down from generation to generation of what to be careful of and how to avoid it in the woods. Well, I mean, okay, well, one, we don't use boogeyman anymore. We use Pennywise nowadays. Yeah, Pennywise. But, we all but, float down here. Yeah, and uh, my basement has old vents that actually go up right to my kitchen. <laughs> so I've had fun with that. I've had a lot of fun with that one. Just let, um, a, so. let a red helium balloon go up the vent. 
I've never done that part, but because I, I mean, if I pop up in the vent, they're gonna see it because we close the vents off and seal them up to so heat wouldn't get wasted. But I mean, but I'll stand right beneath it and lift it up like just with a finger and be like, "Hello, kids, wanna play?" And like the first the first time I did it, they ran screaming out <laughs> of the room, and and I kind of I, uh, I I should I should have waited and used that at a better time, but but the other I mean. Yeah. The the other thing though is I mean, yeah, Native American lore is so important. I mean, the fact that they say they traded, some tribes say they traded with big hairy men, mm-hmm. which that right there to me screams Sasquatch. Like well, 100%. the 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 Lakota word for Bigfoot is Shietanka. And it what that translates as, it doesn't translate as big hairy monster, it translates as big brother. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that before. Yeah, that makes I mean, it makes sense because it. I mean, if as long as you weren't doing anything to destroy their land or invade on their territory, I doubt that Bigfoot would ever really harm you. Well, now there are a lot of a lot of Native American tales of of them coming into camp and carrying off women or children, sometimes even men. Well, I mean, they, there might have been some cannibal tribes, just like there was with every. every well, I think drag, can, when it comes tribe. to, I think when it comes to Bigfoot type creatures, I think you're going to have different personalities, just like you do in people. Uh, you, you know, some are going to be friendly. Some are going to be mean. Uh, some might be a potential serial killer. I mean, there's so much potential in these in these creatures. If they are as intelligent as we suspect, then you're going to run into different personalities. You're going to find in, find ones that j- kill just because they can. Now you keep saying that name, Dugway. Dugway. Yeah, I I can't say I've heard that before. Gugway is an old Iroquois word. It was actually kind of passed down from the from the word Gugway, uh, but it means face eater, and it's a Bigfoot type creature, basically with the face of a baboon, uh, much much more powerful. And uh, the, the the reports of these Gugway creatures are all very very aggressive. Uh, the Lakota used to refer to it as the Bear Man uh, because it looks like the face of a bear, but you know it's a mandrel. Uh, but it's built like a Bigfoot. It's you know upright. Um, some accounts say they have three toes with claws. Others say five toes with claws. Uh, but they're they're like Bigfoot's Bigfoot steroided out crazy cra- crazy cousin because they're the size of a Bigfoot, but extremely more aggressive. Uh, Bigfoot uh, Gugway encounters are all very very aggressive encounters. Yes, which I mean, most dogman encounters are not typically aggressive. From what I hear, a lot of dogman encounters are like a lot of bluffing and like running at you, then or, or you, the last they, or they see you and run. Yeah, but there are a lot of aggressive dogman encounters as well. I'm sure. I mean, well, if, if they're as intelligent as Bigfoot are, then there's going to be different types mm-hmm. of them that want to react different ways because either they're sick of people coming to the territory, or they're just going to play with them, or they're going to avoid them i mean same as a lot of bigfoot if they hear humans like you said with the calls like they can tell there's a human calling them trying to do a bigfoot call on a regular sasquatch call exactly Uh, the the choctaw have a legend of the bigfoot and the dogmen going to war over territory i was actually going to ask you if if you ever heard of like actual like a bigfoot dogman like fight somewhere yeah there is there, there are a lot of accounts of people see, you know, claiming Bigfoot and Dogman got into it over territory. There are even a lot of stories that come out of LBL because the north end of LBL is Dogman encounters and the south end is Bigfoot. And near the middle is where the National Parks Department, for some reason, have reintroduced wood bison and elk. Um, almost, like they're, almost like they're putting... And you're not allowed to hunt them. You, 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 as, you, know, you know, people aren't allowed to hunt them. But it's almost like they put a large food source in there to try to cut down on the number of people going missing. You think? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's really weird that they would put these massive ungulates in there with you know and just let them run. Uh, I mean, it's a food source that makes sense. So Ashley asked, "What do you think the best book is to read about Bigfoot information or Native American stories of them?" The best sources I've ever had uh, weren't weren't in books. Uh, they were talking to people. There's a there's a podcaster uh, named William Nighthawk. He has a channel called Nighthawk High Strangers. Uh, William Nighthawk is a Lakota shaman. That guy is a fountain of of knowledge. I love just hanging out and talking to him. Every time he's been on my show, or him and I have just sat down and had a conversation, 
I learned so much. Um, but there's there are a lot of good books. Uh, and there's even some really good documentaries. Um, I would follow the guys from Small Town Monsters because they put a lot of work in their research. Uh, I actually had Alexander Petikoff on here last night. Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's a he's a great dude. And uh, uh, Eli, the that's on on there. He uh, he actually narrated one of my books. Eli's awesome. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of good books out there, and there are a lot of books that are just kind of you know half fascinated if I and I'm not going to call anybody by out my name uh, my books I've got 27 books in print but they're fiction I write fiction but I've used a lot of the encounter stories I've collected over the years to create the behaviors of the creatures in my books uh, I write fiction because it's what I enjoy I, I'm a horror nut uh, but my research is 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 legit I don't I don't research just because I think it's fun uh, I'm really drawn to digging into these creatures. Uh, I am I am planning on doing a series of of nonfiction books, um, like uh, field journals, kind of kind of thing like that. Um, I want to do one that's just on the different types of Bigfoot from around the world. Uh, I'm actually looking at it. I've been talking to an illustrator who'll do do an illustration of each type. Uh, from the descriptions, and, and uh, we're wanting to do something like that. Um, but you know, as far as you know, books that are uh, anything by Ken Gerhart is really really well researched. Uh, no Ken, Ken's a really good dude. Um, him and Lyle Blackburn really really dig in dig in oh. and, and know their know their territory. Lyle uh, Blackburn is amazing. Yeah, really really good dude. Um, um, I'm trying to think, anybody else? I know I've got a bunch of books that are, but they're behind my green screen, so I can't I mean, read off any of the titles. I mean, anything by Stan Gordon is mm -hmm. always. Oh, absolutely, oh. or anything by Lauren Coleman. Yeah, uh, Lauren Coleman too. I mean, Linda Go Linda Godfrey. They're all. Amazing. Linda Godfrey is I I consider the grandmother of the Dogman the Dogman stories. She, oh, she really is. is the first one that kind of brought that to light. Uh, but there, you know, there are stories of the of dogman type creatures prowling around different areas that date back generations. So, you know, seeing these creatures is not new, but she's the one that kind of brought the name Dogman to light. Oh, didn't I mean she she spent like a full year out in Bray Road area just mm -hmm. like researching this and like well, she lives in Elkhorn, which is right there. True. Did she at the time though? Yeah, yeah. The, when she first oh. heard about it, she was a reporter for the Elkhorn the Elkhorn paper. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, it's been a while since I heard her like full bio old, but it's yeah. I, I have a couple of her books somewhere in this house. I just keep forgetting where they are. But oh, uh, Ashley, another great uh, book uh, you want to read. Uh, my my good friend uh, Barton Nunnally has a series of books. He's got two books called Mysterious Kentucky Volumes One and Two. Read those books. Those are fantastic. Barton's a hell of a guy, and he has got some great knowledge to share. Oh yeah, I mean, basically anywhere, anybody who anywhere you live, just literally search that for a book title with the name in it, and you'll find some cryptid books there. I have a couple that my that one of my guests from my on my podcast wrote for um, New Jersey, mm -hmm. uh, Eleanor Wagner. Uh, I know the name. Yeah, I may actually have that book. I have all. Well, I have her. I have her three mm -hmm. nonfiction books. I. Her fiction book was a little bit too teenage romance for me, but <laughs> I, could, I I didn't want. To well, it, but trust me, there are no teenage romance in any of the books I write. They are they are they're. I know. Horror, they're pure horror. I, I'm curious now. Twenty seven books. Holy shit! And like, oh my god. And I'm about like, a quarter of the way into book number twenty eight. God. And are they all? Dogman related, or are they just all different cryptids? There's a lot of different cryptids. I have a zombie series. Uh, I also have a sci-fi series. Uh, but they all the thing about it is uh, all of my books interconnect. You'll see characters from one series show up in another. Uh, and if you and, and I, what I wanted to do is I wanted to create a much larger universe. So all of these series interconnect, and if you read them in the right order, it tells a much bigger story. Oh, it's a multiverse. <laughs> right. Um, the, uh, uh, fans of my work refer to it as the DA-verse. And Alan apparently says the Ballman story. Yeah, we talk, we were talking about that. Okay, I was going to say, I'm like, we talked about that, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. I believe that was actually Teddy Roosevelt himself. Yeah, which, 
it makes sense because Teddy Roosevelt was a very mysterious man, mm-hmm. and before he was like before he was president, like he was out in the wilderness doing God knows what everywhere. But he was also a very tough individual. I mean, he during a speech there was an assassination attempt, and the man was shot. It and went through it went through his speech and punched into him about two inches, and he finished the speech before they took him to the hospital. That's tough. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he is. Teddy Roosevelt was a man that. Every every man should have wanted to have been hundred years ago, like hundred yeah, percent. I mean, he led the Rough Riders up San Juan Hill. I mean, you know, the the dude was a badass. Yeah, and then, I mean, well, he became president like he should have been because he deserved to be president at that point. Right. He'd be, I mean, hell, if if he was around nowadays, he would go to every other. He would be fighting with the army in every country. Like he no. would. Oh yeah, he. Yeah, he was, in his mouth. He'd be over there. <laughs> like oh, absolutely. Yeah, he was. He was a man's man for sure. Yeah, which, all right, well, since you mentioned it, let's talk about the Wendigo for a bit before we wrap it up. Sure. Well, I get this question all the time when I'm talking to other people about it. Do you think the Wendigo and the Skinwalker are related, like the same thing, but just different regions? No, I do not. The Wendigo is an embodiment of the spirit of hunger. It's like a curse. Uh, the Skinwalker is something totally different. I have a very good friend who who is is Navajo. Oh, sorry about that. Forgot my alarm was supposed to be going going off. But I have a friend that is that is Navajo, and we've discussed the Skinwalker at length. And it is basically a shaman that goes as dark as you can possibly dark, like like corrupt their soul dark. Uh, and they be they be they gain the ability to change shapes. He said they can change into other people. They can change into insects. They can change into birds. The Wendigo is just the Wendigo. They're very separate entities. And if you look into the lore, they're really not much alike, other than the fact that they change form. That's where the similarities what? pretty much begin and end. Yeah, which I mean, I uh, thank you. I've had so many people try to tell me like, oh, they're. They're the same thing. There's different regions. I'm like, no, they're not. Yeah, like, they're if not you actually look into it, no. I mean, but the the Wendigo. I mean, a lot of people try to say that it was just a story that early settlers told to like scare people. Like, no, there are not. documented cases of it. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the most famous cases was a guy named Swift Runner, a Native American, who was actually hanged. Uh, for cannibalism on it, he ate his family. Uh, and in modern modern psychology textbooks, textbooks, there is something called Wendigo psychosis. Uh, just about, I want to say about 20 years ago, there was a guy on a bus you know, on the Trans Canada uh, Highway that just want, was just riding along, heading on to wherever he was going, and just snapped and killed and started eating the pa- one of the other passengers. They evacuated the bus, and when the police took the guy down, he had chunks of flesh cut off this poor guy that he killed in Ziploc bags in his pocket. Um, and they 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 say he you know he was a victim of what they call Wendigo psychosis. But it, if it falls right in line with what the Native Americans say that the Wendigo can possess you, uh, so you know was he possessed by the Wendigo? Was it a psychotic break? I don't know. But I do know the guy was hospitalized instead of going to prison, and he's out now. Which I mean, well, I'm sure they're keeping. I'm sure they're keeping an eye on him. I'm sure. Hopefully, hopefully. But I mean, it's funny because whenever I think of the Wendigo, I always just think of like the Monsters and Mysteries in America segment, Mm -hmm. like where they had like the teeth chattering in the background, Mm -hmm. and like that's all I hear when I think of the Wendigo is that noise, like the like that clicking sound. That's the, the, all I hear. Yeah, the, the the Native Americans haven't been talking about Wendigo for a very long time. In fact, if you ask William Nighthawk uh, about you know them being told as children not to whistle in the woods, it's because you can attract the Wendigo. Uh, there are Wendigo sightings all, th- all throughout Canada, a lot of the northern states. Uh, there have been sightings of Wendigo in Colorado. Uh, pretty much anywhere where it gets cold, it's the, it, it's generally the spirit of famine that comes in, in, in extreme cold temperatures. Which I mean makes you wonder, like, mm-hmm. is it like a frost giant type thing, like for Native Americans, kind of, where it's just like an ancient de- deity almost, like or I think like I think it's more like a demon. 
I think it is the physical embodiment of pure hunger, like to the point where you would eat other people. Um, and in fact, the, the legend stated, the original legend stated that anybody who ate human flesh could be cursed to become the Wendigo. Um, I think it very much can possess people. And I think in extreme cases, they will start adapting and their body will start changing. They'll be very emaciated. They'll be very gaunt. Uh, in some depictions, it shows them with like the head, the the skull of an of a, of a of a deer or an elk with the antlers sticking out. I think that's a mask. I think they actually wear that um, because they will kill pretty much anything and eat it. Uh, some they talk about how in the hunger they've chewed their own lips off or yeah. stripped the flesh from their fingers. Um, these things are very very dangerous. Uh, and I believe that that it is it is a purely metaphysical being. I think it's it's an ancient demon, the spirit, the embodiment of hunger. Uh, and I think it sometimes takes hold of people and doesn't let go. Well, I mean, deities can be demons too, because I mean, True. Hades, Hades was a deity. <laughs> so, but yeah, and naturally says most other people, most older people say don't talk about them, don't acknowledge anything seen. Don't what what some woods like you said. So yeah. and if you hear your name called from the woods in the at night, don't answer it. Yeah, that's a big one. Like yeah, that's, <laughs> that's when I always heard. I mean, and, that they're uh, they're able to mimic the voices of people you know. Yeah, which I mean, that's also that's also something that, and that is something that's also been related to demons is that they can imitate voices to get you to do what they want. Right. So, I mean, it's it could really be all. They could very much well be demons. Like that's possible mm -hmm. if you believe in that type of stuff. Some people like to say they don't, but I'm a firm believer that there's evil things in this world, whether you want to call them demons or whatever you want to call them. There are evil underworld entities in this world that are not meant to be here, but they are here. Yeah, every every civilization down through recorded history talks about creatures very similar to what we refer to as demons. Uh, yep. So I think they're they're, they're a very ancient type of entity uh of, of vast power uh that taunts that likes to taunt human humanity uh they attempt to corrupt they, they can attempt to destroy and whether whatever religion you describe whatever religion you believe in um uh, there's some version of what could be considered a demon in all of them yeah i mean it's just yeah it's the way that i mean it is that way and i mean honestly Last night, I'll tell this one last experience, then we'll wrap this up because I don't want to keep you all night. But last night, I was asleep. My wife was up to like one, two in the morning, whatever. And she, our dog, our, we have a mastiff, a seven-month-old mastiff, and she, 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 until today, she was staying in the cage in the garage for the last like month or so. And all of a sudden, last night, my wife said that she started making sounds that she never heard a dog make before. Like it sounded like someone was trying, something was trying to kill her. So my wife ran out to the garage to check on her and the dog was visibly shaking. And so she let the dog out of the cage and like brought it in the house. But she said when she turned around to go back towards the house and it's the back of my garage, it was originally a chicken coop that we had, we used for a chicken coop. Mm -hmm. And there's ladders there that go up into the rafters or well, not mm -hmm. the rafters, but like a loft. And by the ladders, she said she saw some kind of shadowy figure like standing there. Like she thought she couldn't, she didn't want to stick around and find out, but I mean, we've known my house has spirits, but mm -hmm. th there may be something else here that we didn't realize was here. Well, you know, you start getting into the realm of shadow beings, and those, you know, across you know, across the paranormal spectrum, people report them. Um, and you know, you know, I, heck, I'm not a big, you know, I, I, I refer to myself as a psychic brick. I'm generally not the guy that has paranormal experiences, but even I've seen shadow beings, and and they're pretty frightening. I've never seen one. My wife has, because in the house she lived in, in the Bridgewater Triangle, was built on Native American burial ground. So, she's, I mean, it's like straight out poltergeist, that house. I, I've never seen anything in that house, but I've gotten some creepy-ass feelings at night. Like I've chased them as a cop. Shadow beings? Really? Mm -hmm. I was clearing, clearing a building and was on a floor where I was the only one on the floor and saw one cross between two two pieces of equipment and I spent, you know, a considerable amount of time running all over that floor, trying to kind trying to catch it. And it finally disappeared uh, near the elevators and the elevators were not in service. So it didn't get away, 
there was no stair opening. There was just those elevators. And when I got to the elevators, it was just gone. Well, I mean, shadow beings are one of those things that I believe could be dimensional. They could mm -hmm. be something. Well, it could be something me. demonic. I mean, we don't know. Yeah, we don't. That's a, I a, mean, re a remnant of a ghost or a revenant or something like that. We, we don't know what they are. Um, but people report seeing them all over the world. Well, as as my listeners know, I actually have a theory about uh, evolution of ghosts, but I will save that for another time. Or <laughs> if you got if you guys want me want to have me on your show sometime, I can tell it there. Sure. <laughs> I also might have, have to make a, that happen. I might have. I also have an extraterrestrial theory that's very out there, but some people love it, some people laugh at it. But. <laughs> The thing is, is what people fail to realize is whether it's the paranormal field or UFO, ufology or, or cryptids, there are no experts in any of these fields. Anybody that claims to be an expert is out and out lying to you and probably trying to sell you something. There are no experts in any of these fields and all we have are theories. Yeah, your theory on any of this is just as valid as mine. Anybody in the audience that's listening tonight, if you've got a theory, that theory is just as valid as anything we could come up with because we don't know. That's why we're digging into these fields. We want to learn more. We want to find facts. And by taking these accounts from you know people from all over the place, we can, we can compare these accounts and look for commonalities of behavior. And that's how we start developing you know, true knowledge on these on these types of creatures, be it cryptid, be it ghosts, be it whatever. We look for commonalities in the sightings, and that's how we start developing patterns of behavior. And that's what we're actually going to be able to build off of that is going to lead us to a final answer. Which I agree with that hundred percent. I say in the, I say on this show all the time, we know nothing about any of these any of these things. We just think we know things, and right. we can't prove it. We can't prove any of it yet. We can't prove any right. of it yet. But I think the time's coming where we will be able to prove some of it eventually, but that time is still not near. <laughs> so, DA, tell them where they can find your show and where they can find your books and just sell yourself, basically. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, you, you can check out all of my books and all of my writing at daroberts.net. Uh, there's actually a link to my podcast on there as well. You can find my podcast on YouTube, and it's actually part of the Parapost, Net Parapost Network as well. Uh, you can find it on my Facebook pages. Uh, but the show's called DAX Machina. We generally have a show every Wednesday and Saturday night, unless I have a convention appearance or, or you know have to be out of town for some reason. But you'll find us on Wednesdays and Saturdays at 8 p.m. Central. We generally run about two hours. Sometimes we'll go a little long if, this, if the conversation's really flowing. Uh, but you know, I've, I've seen some names in your uh, in your chat that I recognize from mine. So uh, you know, if you guys haven't checked it out, I hope you guys will swing by DAX Machina. Uh, you can find that on on YouTube at you know, YouTube.com/daRobertsAuthor. Uh, and hope you like, share, and subscribe to the channel. And, and hope to see you guys in the chat there as well. Go check them out, people. I mean, yeah, and I it's Parapost, so it's definitely some of the same watchers, I'm sure, because Parapost has some fans, but. And I think AJ could pass or forget me on Parapost, but but I uh, and for all my listeners, you know where you can find me. The outro will follow. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you for watching. I will be back on, I believe Monday with my next paranormal interview. So I'll be back on Monday. I will see you then. And I want to, of course, thank DA for coming on because it's been an amazing episode, and I can't wait to release this and towards the end of towards the middle of November. <laughs> oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you for having me on. No, no, definitely my pleasure as well. Thank you. Have a good night, everybody.